This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 29th of May, 2018. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Jon, and here is my uh, whistling co-host, Dave. Uh, well, tweeting co-host, maybe? Tweeting? No, you don't tweet. <laughs> you always tell me you don't tweet. I, I don't tweet. <laughs> However, there are birds tweeting uh, very loudly outside at the moment. So you've uh, offloaded that work to other life forms. Indeed. I think, uh, I mean, they do it so naturally. <laughs> well, they do it better than us, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yes. another week, another news episode. Indeed. And, uh, you know, happy tail end of uh, GDPR notifications. Oh, God. I mean, I've never had more spam than since GDPR became active. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was the intended purpose, but it worked. <laughs> yeah, probably wasn't the intended purpose, but yeah, there we go. It's just, uh, it's just what happens. Although it does give you a nice uh, occasion to clean up all your mailing subscriptions. Indeed, indeed. Look on the bright side. It's it's uh, it's the the chance to clean up that digital footprint of yours and unsubscribe from all that stuff that you always delete as soon as you <laughs> see it in your inbox. Although I do see two ways of that people are doing this because I have a bunch of emails that tell me please reconfirm your email address and allow yeah. us to do it, and I have a bunch that say, uh, by the way, we've changed stuff, but it's all the same. Yeah. I, I think it's so I have a sneaking suspicion that it depended on what their policy was at the if time that you signed up. Um, mm. So if it was if it was written a certain way in that they could say that they were already sort of compliant, but they needed to make some other changes to their policy anyway and just notify yeah. you then you get that but if they weren't compliant in some way shape or form but previously um then they have to give you the that opt-out um that unsubscribe okay. option so i think that's the case that's that's, that's my possible. suspicion yeah my feeling was more that the, the bigger companies want to have a full uh, deniability so they'll make you recommit while the smaller companies just uh, didn't want to bother you too much and uh, just sent you a thing like uh, it's updated it's clear now trust us <laughs> yeah, I don't know because I, I think there's been a. If I think about my inbox, I, I I've been I had noticed that split, and I had been kind of very vaguely mentally tracking it as to who was doing what kind of approach. And I I must admit I thought I saw more of a mix, but okay. yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I didn't really track it in that much detail myself. Anyway, GDPR. Let's not talk about GDPR. We've talked about GDPR enough already. We want to we talk, about, uh, talk about videos. data work summit. Yes. So the the videos from the Berlin Data Work Summit are now all up. There's a, a link in the show notes. Um, you can even hear yours truly uh, talking about Apache Metro in the real world. Um, but there are many, many other sessions up there in live. The the session videos are slightly different to those that have been up in previous years in that they are essentially, um, apart from the keynotes ones, the keynote sessions that are um, more sort of similar to, to the traditional ones, the actual individual summit session ones are just full screen slides and the presenter's audio. So it's, uh, I always find these you know, the, some of the most useful content that comes out all year round. And the, it's it's the kind of material I regularly find myself going back to, forwarding on to, um, you know, other other customers and interested colleagues and things like mm-hmm. that. So, 
Yeah, good stuff. Uh, yeah, it's useful stuff. I mean, I have a couple of my uh, my, my playlists that I want to watch before I forget to watch them. And for people <laughs> that are also thinking there's stuff you need to look at, my little dashboard is still up and running. So if you want to do selections based on your interests, it's still there for anything it can do for you. Also, the new dashboard for the San Jose is also up and running and being updated daily almost. So let me know if you like that. If you don't like it, don't let me know because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if you have constructive feedback over there <laughs> on that, however, I'm sure Jan would be uh, happy to hear it. Yeah, but if people tell me it's bad because and then give me good reasons why it's bad, that's still constructive criticism, but I still don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> Although I like enough. it more. Anyway, that's for this uh, DataWorks Summit. Um, yeah. So there's there's also um, just as a somewhat of an aside, there's uh, anybody out there? I know we have uh, some some listeners down under, as they say, um, in Australia and New Zealand. Um, I am actually going to be in Australia and New Zealand between um, sort of June sixth and uh, June fourteenth. There's a, a link in the show notes. Um, to a handful of events. I'm not going to be at the first event, which is in Melbourne, uh, but certainly Canberra, Sydney, Brisbane, Auckland, and New Zealand. Um, they are all events that uh, I will I will be at. Actually, that that's last one, I think, is Wellington, um, June the 14th. So, yes, I will be visiting the other side of the world, if you'd like to come along and say hi and uh, enjoy the goodness, uh, that is, um, is a variety of different titles, but uh, the, the core of it seems to be uh, AI starts with govern data. Um, it's sort of a, a morning session running from about uh, uh, nine till nine till eleven or thereabouts. Um, yeah, if you're interested and if you're around, feel free to come along and, and say hi. Well, it's an interesting it's, heading, actually. AI starts with government data. It's different ways of looking at that. So uh, when you get back here, let's do a session on that as well. Sounds like a plan. And with that, I think that's all of our uh, administ trivia out of the way. <laughs> administ trivia. <laughs> Never heard that one before. On let's to the news. Go into the news. Uh, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, so we'll start off with uh, perhaps a moment's silence. Um, actually, no, we won't start off with a moment's silence at all. That's not really our speed, is That's it? That's very bad podcasting, you know, moments of silence. Um, yeah, so this is a bit of a, a bit of sad news, but um, I'm more interested in kind of what will happen afterwards. So this is the fact that Data Torrent, um, which is um, one of the stream processing um, startup, is uh, has unexpectedly closed its doors uh, and wrapped up its business. So Data Torrent, for those that aren't familiar, is really the, the commercial entity behind, um, you know, the driving force behind the Apache Apex um, stream processing project. Now, I don't know a massive amount about Apex. I've seen it mm-hmm. now and again out there. I've, I think I've seen probably maybe two of their sessions at various summits over the years. Um you know, the company was founded in 2012, um, and you know the the, the Apex um, project itself, you know, successfully graduated from incubator status. So it's it's a fully fully fledged Apache project. And I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, what what the future will hold for the Apex project. Um, uh, I think you know I might even start reaching out to a couple of the members of the of the community. Um, you know, let let the dust settle, but 
you know, mm-hmm. understand what what the next steps are. Because the the interesting thing about the Apache um, sort of governed projects is that they don't graduate from incubator status until there's you know one of the one of the pieces is there being a strong enough community to support that and it not just be driven by one vendor but you know the data torrent folks were so instrumental in the in the apex project i i just i wonder what you know what their future looks like so um yeah it's certainly if there's anybody out there on the on the apex project that wants to reach out and say hi and talk about all the all the awesome things that are coming down the pipe we'd be very happy to uh, to hear it yeah and it's it's not a young project anymore i mean i've got uh, version 3.7 out that came out yeah. uh, quite recently actually 28th of yeah. april and yeah. i just looked through the change log and there's a whole bunch of stuff they did there so yeah yeah it's still so it's still moving alive yeah so, Still for, moving yeah. pretty. Because for me, the, an open source project, definitely the Apache project, it, it goes away not when a, a, a company goes away, but when there's not enough people to form that community in there. Uh, looking at how much uh, they were still working on, and it's quite, yeah, mature. Let's say, I wouldn't expect this uh, project to just vanish. Yeah, um, there might have been a problem with uh, <clears throat> sorry with monetization behind it because I know a lot of these open source things they have a commercial entity behind it to do support and I don't yeah. know to have the uh, what you call that uh, indemnification things and stuff like that which basically is what Red Hat uh, made the money on in the beginning and still yeah. yeah and maybe Apache Apex didn't really lend itself to that. That it's yeah, uh, just I mean, that's, too easy that to was, work with. You don't need support. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that so we linked in the show notes to a Dayton Army article. Uh, but Guy Churchwood, the uh, president CEO since February 2017, um, one of the things that he mentioned was that uh, the market wasn't favorable for us to monetize. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and despite the promise of Apache Apex, uh, Churchwood said the company concluded that the marketing is leaning towards free plus support. So yeah, yeah, free plus support. So the plus support should yeah. have been, but again, it's 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 hard to build, to build a business on open source. It's not it easy. is, it is, it is. But yeah, so it, it interesting, um, sad news. Um, <laughs> it's always sad when um, you know organizations that base themselves yeah. around open source as you say like it's it's tough to 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 get an open source business um up and running and successful so i'm i'm always saddened when i when i hear news like that but i'm i'm genuinely interested in the apex project and to to hear what uh, what the plans are next yeah it would be nice to have somebody on because it's a streaming yeah. thing and streaming is all the the hype at the moment indeed fast data is a new thing right it's no longer big data but fast data Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, so with that, over Best to of you. luck to the Apex guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, get in touch. To me, uh, are you okay if I do two articles in one go? Because they're both related a little bit. I am indeed. And right. it's about our little darling, uh, the, the project we love the most, maybe. Batch <laughs> 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 uh, in Wi-Fi. And actually, I came across this by coincidence uh, when I was doing my Twitter duties. I also read other people's tweets at that point. And there was a tweet coming out from Timothy Spann, who actually put a 
rather extensive article on the Hortonworks Community Connection site. Uh, show notes will have a link on how he's using uh, NiFi. Uh, he built a total NiFi flow to uh, get statistics on Ethereum cryptocurrency exchange stuff. Now, I'm going to mention blockchain, so from now on, our audience has just doubled, obviously. <laughs> Actually, every time you mention it, it doubles again, exactly. so just keep doing it. So I have to mention what, blockchain? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Again, again. Blockchain. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but apart from the, the, the subject matter, uh, and actually this is how I see blockchain actually being the mostly most attached to big data, and that's in delving through all the data that's been generated by blockchain. <laughs> and in this case, it's about EtherDelta, which is an exchange. And apparently they have a nice open API that you can use to just browse through the old exchange ac- activities, uh, sells, buys, whatever. And Tim actually went through a whole detailed setup on how the uh, workflows look, uh, how you have to write them up. There's some code examples there. Uh, It's all right in there. The schema is there. So it's a very nicely laid out uh, NiFi flow, followed Mm -hmm. then by a couple of Zeppelin dashboards that show examples on how to actually uh, query that data. And also, and this is for me a first, uh, explaining how to use the uh, schema registry, which I haven't really... yeah, it worked with myself, to be honest. So it's a nice example of having everything put together. And if you're thinking of doing something with NiFi, with streams, with flows, just building this, you will still need to do a bit of searching because it isn't exhaustive. It's not a, a total tutorial, but you should have enough information here, I think, to build this and actually see how it all works. And it's complex enough to actually be representative of something and still simple enough to become... Uh, transparent enough to to understand what it's doing. Yeah. The one criticism I have is that the screenshots are quite small, but if you zoom in with your browser or whatever, you can still it's all legible if you zoom in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of information. I think the thing that I like it's a it's a good find actually. I think the thing that I like most about it is the fact that it's it, it's you've got a decent chunk of of NiFi doing actually interesting things yep. in it, but then you've also got as you mentioned, that the Zeppelin dashboards mm-hmm. and the NiFi registry kind of bringing it all together in a in a nice kind of end-to-end scenario. Yeah, very often you see a tutorial on NiFi which just says, put this flow up and yeah, now what? And Zeppelin, yeah. a Zeppelin tutorial with uh, some demo code, whatever. This is a, it, it's a nice use case, actually. Yeah. And it's about blockchain. Hey, I doubled again. So <laughs> <laughs> it's also something that is actually... I mean, most people should know what this thing does and what it does. So it also makes it tangible for the people. And Ethereum, if you don't know, it's the second most known, I would say, after Bitcoin. Mm. And it's the one that actually introduced the smart contracts uh, concept. So if you're doing anything with blockchain, double again, uh, then the Ethereum one is actually the one that's being used the most. And also with what the Microsoft had on, that's also what uh, Azure is being standardized upon or say differently that's the one that you can get out of the box on Azure so that's why I know a little bit more about okay. this particular one and that's also because they have the whole concept of uh, I mean we're not going to go too deep into blockchain but they have the thing where you can have a blockchain within your company and it still makes a little bit of sense hmm. <laughs> but enough on blockchain but again for uh, for NiFi uh, beginners I mean you don't need to have a lot of uh, pre-knowledge to be able to go through this and still understand it. If you have a little bit of knowledge already, it will be easier, of course. So really take a look at this. And uh, kudos to uh, Timothy Span for doing this. It's a nice write-up. 
Excellent. Congratulations there. And yeah, my second article, just by coincidence, I was going through my backlog of uh, things I wanted to look at, and I found another one related to it uh, from the Couchbase blog called NiFi Processing and Flow with Couchbase Server, which is a similar, less exhaustive, but a connection between NiFi and uh, Couchbase also comes with uh, pretty much uh, details and uh, examples and even has some animated screenshots. And I was going to say. <laughs> I know you like your visualization, <laughs> don't you? I do. But again, it's less tangible. It's more of a demo demo. But, uh, well, I wasn't going to use this as a standalone article because it's just too small. But since I was doing the other one from Tim, I could add this one on top of it. So, again this uh, link will be in the show notes too so people want to start with NiFi there's a lot of good stuff here yeah and it's it's interesting because of course um, it to me this is more about the fact that you know NiFi is being talked about by people that are not Hortonworks which mm-hmm. I think the, the the community building around NiFi cross vendor I think is a is a really interesting thing we we spoke to um, folks at uh, Streamlio. Um, spoilers. Yeah, spoiler alert. Not, <laughs> not too long ago. And, you know, they also have a um, Apache Pulsar integrating with NiFi, you know, YouTube video up there. So it, I, it, it really feels like, I mean, as you said at the beginning of this sort of uh, section, you and I have been fans of NiFi <laughs> for a long time. And it, but it it does feel like um, NiFi is becoming far more pervasive across, you know, a far wider spread of of organisations, which is really great to see. Yeah, the adoption is accelerating. That's true. That's probably mostly our our uh, how do you call that? Uh, we did this right. Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, just just the fact that we love it so much means that people adopt it. That that's how it works, right? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm not <laughs> contradicting that. That great. <laughs> Over Fair to enough. you. Oh, All right, God. don't do this. <laughs> don't do it. Don't go there. No, I, no. I, I can't not go there. I'm afraid. So, Doom, everybody's favorite granddaddy of of FPSs. Um, I as much as as much as Wolfenstein, you know, started this. Really, Doom Doom was what made it more real, and uh, it's you know celebrating its 25th anniversary this year so uh, it's been around for a long time and yet it still continues to pop up um, everywhere and uh, in this particular case um, some interesting folk have actually been using AI to generate new uh, Doom levels for humans to play so this is um, a uh, an article from the MIT Technology Review and um, I, it, there's the sort of the the raw sort of paper is actually called Doom Level Generation Using Generative Adversarial Networks or GANs, uh, which uh, I'm sure Jon is far more uh, versed with than I am. But the the interesting thing about this for me is, as as many of you will know out there, I'm not a an ML person, uh, but Oh, or an AI, AI person good. even, <laughs> but but I am uh, I am very much someone who enjoys uh, gaming when I get a chance, and the we've seen sort of um, AI and ML gener- generated levels before. In fact, Jon reminded me that we we'd done a similar um, skit on uh, a Mario World kind of two D platformer level generation some time ago, 
Um, but this, you know, this is bringing a whole new, whole new level of complexity, in, at least in my opinion, to the game. And you can see there's actually a YouTube link, and again, links in the show notes to some uh, a human playing the uh, the level. And um, while I, I may have some criticisms about the human player, <laughs> the the actual levels I think are, are reasonably, you know, from what I've saw of them, and I had a look at some of the actual levels. Um, in a bit more detail, they actually look reasonably well designed. They look like the kinds of levels that you would expect, you know, a human level designer to create. Now, there are some strange kind of foibles where, um, you know, mainly in, in my opinion, mainly to do with the the appearance of enemies in the in the sort of the various spaces that just look a little bit forced. But it's it's surprising, or it was surprising to me at least how well-structured, I thought, that these levels came out. So, yeah, I, this it's just a, a nice kind of fun little thing. But, of course, the, the next extension on from that, and this is a, a slightly early, earlier article, actually, uh, which is uh, um, an article called um, World Models Can Agents Learn in, from Inside of Their Own Dreams? Um, so this is a, a paper by... Um, Jürgen Schmidhuber-Nesens, sorry, almost <laughs> certainly got that wrong, and um, David Ha. And they are essentially using um, sort of uh, neural networks to, um, to really kind of get them to understand what's happening within these spaces uh, or within the games, and then play the game themselves and at any point the the human can kind of take over now so this is the obvious the obvious next step is not only will the ais um, create the games but then they'll play the games making humans totally redundant um <laughs> the so the the article itself i think is really good there so it's um again link in the show notes but worldmodels.github.io has got some really, really good visualizations. And it's not just about the stuff they do with Doom, but they they sort of they start off with some you know a car racing experiment, sort of an overhead view sort of um, uh, car example, um, the dreams that that comes from, and then they move on to sort of the the Doom based experiment. And it's just I, th- I think the honestly the article goes way over my head. But it, it appears, at least to me, to be really well written. There's a lot of really good um, detail in it. And it, it's actually something I, I aim to spend a bit of time trying to understand in a bit more depth. Um, also, a quick shout out to my, uh, one of my favorite gaming uh, websites, uh, Rock Paper Shotgun, <laughs> who also um, linked to this. And this is actually how I came across this. And their title is just Dodge Fireballs Forever in a neural net's doom nightmare. And they actually do a really good job, I think, of explaining it at the level that I can understand. <laughs> but for those of you well-versed in this space, I would really recommend you go and take a look at the um, at the core article that it's back- based on. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, decent information there. I mean, the first part you talked about, that's from Cornell University, that's the whole paper online mm. as well. So that's uh, some de- heavy reading. The world model is a bit more approachable. Because yeah. of the web uh, web interface gives you a bit more yeah more graphics and more animation in there, 
Yeah. It yeah. also nicely explains how the models are being built and everything. It doesn't give you everything, of course, because that would just be too much. But uh, yeah, it's definitely if people are doing stuff with AI, I want to look at this. Uh, yeah. And again, playing games is a serious business because the whole procedural generation of, uh, of game environments is a big business these days. Yeah. I mean, procedural generation of game environments, but also, um, you know, AI for a lot of the um, you know the competition has yeah, been which is part of the procedure generation these days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, if you're going to go with gaming anyway, there's a, a little game out there which you might have heard of, and you might be totally against or for, and I don't care. Just Star Citizen, and <laughs> they're also doing a lot. They've actually been uh, in combination. They've been working with a company from the UK, and I forget the name, who was actually building the whole. AI, uh, how do you call that, uh, NPCs and how they yeah. should behave and how they should just hang around and do things to make it look like they were actually people. And in yeah. typical games, they just build kind of a loop where a little NPC goes from a chair, goes to a table, sits down, whatever, or does the yeah. same thing in a loop, basically. But they are actually building something that's completely context-driven and uh, generated by, by AI. So, yeah, this whole... And, of course... The advantages of doing it this way is that by building a game environment, a game environment is always going to be a simplification of reality. Yep. So it's a nice first step to do actually robotics in the real world. Real world doesn't have flat surfaces. Everything is a little bit skewed, <laughs> so it's a little yeah. bit harder always. But having these game environments, um, yeah, that's why there's a lot of work doing uh, happening in this in this uh, uh, this environment. I mean, we also had a little article a couple of months ago about uh, the driverless cars. They yeah. were being trained using, uh, I don't know, one of the PlayStation or Xbox games uh, as, a tour, as, a, as a training tool, let's say. Yep. Again, to have a simplification level there. But no, they're really good articles. There's a lot of, uh, lot of content, a lot of depth in there. And uh, yeah, it goes above my head as well, I must admit. I, mean, I can talk, uh, I can bullshit about this as much as I want to. But if you go into the nitty gritty, uh, if you don't do this for a living and just this for a living, there's a whole swamp of a quagmire of information there. Yeah. Very easy to drown, never to be seen again. <laughs> yeah. But I think it, it, it does, I, I guess for me, it, it's more of, it's more of a case that the, the level of detail here shows that it's, it is gaining far more. Um, people are far more happy talking about it in the public space than, I would say has been we've seen a lot of very high level stuff shared but I don't think we've seen quite so much um, detail shared on this before yeah but see that's the whole thing with AI I mean on the one hand uh, there are still ways of making your RNN or CNN or whatever network type you're using to make the algorithms better. And there's some people working on that and there's some secret sauce there. But typically people just take a well-known convoluted network or if you're doing uh, a language stuff, recurrent network, mm-hmm. and just train a model using that algorithm. And at that point, the secret sauce isn't in the algorithm because that's just something you download. Yeah. But more in the data you gave it and how you did the reinforcement steps. And that stuff, they don't really talk too much in detail either. Yeah. And of course, the real secret source is that trained model. And yeah. that's, uh, yeah, closely guarded secrets. And actually, I know for a fact that the models that are available on the internet 
from the big guys, uh, the Amazons, Microsofts, Googles out there, there are actually AI models reverse engineering those models to figure out how they were being built. <laughs> so a bit of inception there, if you want, if you like. Yeah, but it, it, it's it's a whole new arms race, isn't it, really? Um, oh, God, don't start about arms races. I mean, I had a couple of articles which I decided not to include about uh, the new military tools involving swarms. Mm. That was uh, pretty scary stuff, actually. You might dig those up for a future show, but uh, yes, don't don't talk about arms races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair wanna, enough. I want to keep right. sleeping. So, moving on from Doom, what do you have for us? Is there anything else but Doom? Once you've reached Doom, uh, not really. Do? Not really. Doom is all there is. Doom is all you need. <laughs> well, no, you, you had Wolfenstein, you had Doom, and then you had another one, Quake. Nah, it was something in between there. I'll, I'll figure it out. Anyway, something completely different. Something more down-to-earth and uh, more user-friendly and people-friendly, let's say. I'm going to talk about the new era of the multi-model database. Or multi-model database. I don't know how you want to call it. Multi-modal database? Multi-modal database. Whatever. Uh, it's an article from ZDNet or ZNet. We keep <laughs> getting into <laughs> trouble here. And it's about apparently a new... A uh, thing that's happening where in the past databases, and this is a bit wrong perhaps for SQL databases. If we're talking about SQL databases, those were doing a lot of things. There were there were a lot of use cases for those. But if you went to the NoSQL environment, they usually were fit to measure for a certain use case. You had document storage, you had key value storage, you had graph databases, and basically you went for CouchDB or MongoDB or something like that, and you had a certain thing in mind, and that's what it did. Apparently what this article is talking about, and I must agree with them, is that these days, uh, a lot of these databases start becoming uh, schizophrenic, I guess, for lack of a better word, yeah, and starting to do multiple things. And I was aware of the of one of them, which they actually call the poster child here, which is the Cosmos DB from Azure. Yeah, I work for Microsoft, so I know the Cosmos to be from Azure, which actually started out as document to be, which was a standard uh, yeah, document database, similar to Mongo. But the new iteration on that, Cosmos DB actually has a front end for the document to be itself, the old API. It also stocks MongoDB, it also talks Gremlin, it has graph interfaces, and more will be added in future. And the article gives a couple of other examples as well, which I wasn't aware of. I was thinking we were unique, but uh, there's no such thing in, uh, in open source. <laughs> <laughs> and they mentioned this article actually work, uh, comes from the OriantDB uh, people. Uh, that's the people that are credited for it. But they also talk about Yogabyte and something from Amazon's Neptune also works in this stuff. And apparently this whole multi-modal database stuff is becoming more and more uh, yeah, normal, let's say. And they also say it's not uh, a thing that they... Um, it's driven by use case demands. Because typically, even if you have a multi-modal database, it'll still mm. be this with other things possible as well. So it won't really shift its entirety. If it starts out as a document database, it will still be a document database that now also can do some uh, graph or key value store stuff. So you still have a kind of a gravity in a certain niche. But use cases these days are more complex. And you just need that little bit more than it now makes sense to not set up a second store with that characteristic, but keep using what you're using and have just a separate API to talk to that thing. 
there will be drawbacks. There will be, uh, how do you call that, uh, things you have to consider because it will not be optimal. A true key value store will be better than a document store that also does key value. But yeah, sometimes be, it doesn't a, make sense. Yeah, there'll be a set of compromises for mm-hmm. any sort of decision like that. But it's it's sort of... Uh, it To me, it suggests more about the the fact that a lot of these platforms are now they do they do one thing very well but they're looking to ex- expand and extend into other spaces beyond where they started and that that's usually an indicator of um sort of to a certain extent a level of maturity yeah. in in where they started from but it it's also it's a it's a bit of a slippery slope in my opinion because you 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 end up with you know, jack of all trades and master of none, or there's a potential at least for that if 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 it's not managed very carefully. Yeah, and that's what the article says. That's not where it's going today because you can still clearly see that this is a document to be that yeah. can also do a little bit of other stuff as well. But if you really need yeah. that other stuff as your prime use case, don't use this. Go to whatever that prime thing has as its uh, first uh, level application, let's say. But it, ex- yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, but it should be quite good because it should. Um, it should, for some people at least, simplify their architectures. They might be able to pull out or not deploy something that they were thinking that they had to do in a in a sort of a, a future iteration of you know, something they were looking to add yeah. just for the sake of a minor piece of functionality. So yeah. it could be good news. Yeah, and also sometimes it just uh, makes the product better because I know, for example, in uh, SQL databases, they're mm. adding NoSQL stuff in there, like columnar data stores inside the SQL database for fast lookups. Because uh, a lot of the time, NoSQL won't do what you need it for. Because NoSQL typically is very good if you have one use case, one query pattern. But then you also want to do this little join. And your performance and uh, even monetary-wise, it really goes bad. By adding NoSQL to SQL, they are able to do stuff that really works. The other way around, uh, I don't see... SQL being added to NoSQL being advantageous. Mm. But uh, there are the base of doing it that way as well. So yeah, it's uh, new and improved. Maturity is definitely a point here. If uh, your core thing is stable enough, you can start new stuff, uh, add new stuff on top of it. It's always a good sign, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a pretty short article, but uh, it is something that I've seen happen indeed, and it's a nice uh, yeah, validation that my senses were not deceiving me. Things are changing. And I'm going to do another two for two (laughs) Mm -hmm. because my last article for today is in the same vein and it's just a short short mention of uh, the seven databases in seven weeks second edition book being published. And if people haven't heard of this book before, the seven databases in seven weeks is actually a nice book that got me on the road to NoSQL and big data. 10, 15 years ago, I guess. Oh, it's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically a book that has seven chapters, and each chapter goes over one NoSQL database. And in the second edition, they have Redis, Neo4j, CouchDB, MongoDB, HBase, Postgres, and DynamoDB. And they typically take different kinds. They take a document store, they take a key value store, they take a graph database and things like that. And uh, I haven't read the second edition yet because it's just out, but the uh, first edition was actually a very approachable, let's start with the simplest one. This is how NoSQL works and this is this kind of database. And now next chapter, this is also still NoSQL, but this is a different way and this is how it changes from it with examples. And it really 
was the idea to go through the book in seven weeks and every week had a nice every day you do this and at the end of the week you had a kind of a not an exam but more of a, 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 a chapter closing exercise let's say to to just test it out it gave a lot of information how to set things up usually using uh, small vms in your laptop or something like that and it was actually a very approachable and easy way to get into this NoSQL headspace because when you're coming from a sql environment and people are talking about NoSQL, it's very easy to, to start applying things that just don't apply. It's it's not a different kind of SQL. It's not SQL. It's a different way of looking at things. <laughs> There's a reason it's called NoSQL. Um, yeah, but it's not because it doesn't do uh, SQL. No, yeah. it is not SQL. It's a database. It's a storage layer. It's a storage mechanism. But you, it's a different way of thinking things. And I actually enjoyed, using, enjoyed this book a lot. I learned a lot from it, and I just noticed that uh, the Pragmatic Bookshelf had a second edition out. And uh, for people that are willing to do more stuff with NoSQL, it's out there. There's an ebook for uh, apparently $26. <laughs> Paper books are expensive. And yeah. uh, I really like it. We're not getting paid for this, but uh, it's, yeah, something I liked. Yeah, well, I mean, always recommendations from, from people that have, have learned something useful from anything whether it's a you know a book a website or something else that's it's always more more useful than a whole bunch of anonymous uh, sort of recommendations mm-hmm. so no yeah, very nice and back to you although you're done too right i think so and i think unless you've got anything else uh let's see through my little preparation but nope i think we mentioned everything in that case that is about all the time we have for today We hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. See you then.